0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM
1: 740. All right, first order of business. Let's get right to it. Hello, Olympia, Washington. Very proud to welcome a new affiliate, KGY AM 1240 in Olympia. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Very, very uh, pleased and very proud to have KGY as part of our... A growing family here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, We'll add that to, I believe that brings our total to 15 affiliates south of the border. And uh, delighted to have them all. Each and every one from uh, Kodiak, Alaska, which we welcomed last week, KVOK AM 560, Huntsville, Alabama, Phoenix, Atlanta, Davenport, Iowa, Springfield, Missouri, Hanover, Claremont, New Hampshire, Albany, Beacon, Kingston, Peekskill, New York, Asheville, North Carolina, Bismarck, North Dakota, and of course our brand new one, KGYAM 1240. Uh, Tim Spreen, our uh, very capable uh, technical man and producer here on The Conspiracy Show, open up the phone lines because the first hour, it's just you and me, friends. And I do have something on my mind and I'm hoping you'll be interested in chatting with me about it. Obviously, These are very uncertain times. And the situation unfolding in the tiny island nation of Cyprus really has me concerned, and it it should have you concerned as well. Uh, Cyprus, you're saying, that's half a world away. It's a tiny little country, 800,000 people. What could that possibly have to do with me? Well, if you've been following what's been going on over there, it could have a lot to do with all of us. Because I think what's going on in Cyprus, as they scramble to avoid uh, some sort of a meltdown and possibly risk being turfed out of the EU, although it looks like now that's not going to happen, the Troika, the EU, the IMF, the dreaded IMF, and the European Central Bank have essentially told the Cypriot government, you will impose a tax on the depositors at the two largest banks in that country to shore up its failing bank uh, financial system. And a lot of that money, of course, is, as we've come to learn, Russian money, KGB money, Vladimir Putin money. (laughs) Uh, And uh, the latest deal is this. Most depositors in Cyprus will be spared after the uh, Cyprian Parliament basically said no, we are not going to impose a depositor tax, which was anywhere from I think six point nine percent upwards to about fifteen percent. They're not good. They weren't going to impose that tax on ordinary depositors, to which the Troika responded, "If you don't do something, you're out of the EU." Well, now, now it looks as if only those depositors with money in the two largest banks, over $100,000, or 100,000 euros, my mistake, 100,000 euros, will have to pay upwards of, get this, 40%. 40%. In addition, Cyprus has imposed capital controls. In other words, because obviously, if you had more than 100,000 euros, and you knew this was coming down the pipe, you would be scrambling to the bank to withdraw your money. Uh, So they've put in place these capital controls. You can only withdraw up to 100 euros from an, from, a, uh, from an ATM. And if you were to go to the bank, I'm not sure what the uh, the controls there are, but in other words, they're preventing people from taking their money out of the bank. And, of course, the first people in line would be these former KGB people because Cyprus is sort of the, the new Cayman Islands or the new Switzerland and the uh, the, the KGB... Uh, of course, after the fall of the, uh, the the berlin Wall uh and the the collapse of the Soviet Union, you had this sort of gangster capitalism that emerged in in Russia and a lot of uh k g b people however, they did it they they acquired a great deal of wealth, and I would include uh, include uh, Vladimir Putin in that and they parked their money in cyprus so now you had the Cyprian Parliament <laughs> placed in this position where they were told essentially to put a depositor tax. Uh, on on, uh, on deposits, which was a, a really going to to hurt, kick the Soviets or kick the Russians in the pants, which was, I guess, sort of a nice or a, a, a an opportunity for the IMF to do this. When I say IMF, what we're really talking about here is Washington, the International Monetary Fund, headquartered in Washington. This was a, a rare opportunity for them to kick their former Cold War foes in the pants with this, this depositor tax. But I, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little concerned for the the uh, the, the members of parliament in Cyprus uh, because I suspect the uh, former KGB and the Russians who have a lot of money, we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars in Cyprus banks, aren't going to take this lying down. I suspect we're going to see, I hope not, I suspect we're going to see a few... Cyprian parliamentarians floating face down in the Mediterranean because these guys play rough let me tell you that however what's going to happen I suspect is depositors in Greece in Spain in Italy are looking at Cyprus and saying we could be next are they going to tax my deposits I mean guaranteeing A bank guaranteeing your deposits, that's sacrosanct. That's the rule of law. And now what we have essentially is theft. We have the IMF, the European Central Bank, the EU, demanding that the Cyprian government steal money from their own depositors. This could very well cause a run on the banks in places like Greece, in Italy, in Spain, in Portugal, in Ireland... And it could cause banks to fail. And we could see a ripple effect that could turn into an economic tsunami that could could make the, the economic collapse of 2008 look like a walk in the park. And what I'm asking you, ladies and gentlemen, and I invite you to the phones, are you concerned? Are you prepared for a possible financial collapse? Are you confident that your deposits in your bank are safe? Now, having said that, here in Canada, we have probably the most stable banking system in the world. Our debt-to-GDP ratio is relatively low compared to other, other countries in the G7 or G20. I don't foresee a financial collapse in Canada, but I would ask my, my American listeners... How do you feel? Do you think it's within the realm of possibility that one day you'll wake up and be told, the banks are closed for an extended banking holiday. The banks in Cyprus have now been closed for more than a week. Imagine if you had no access to cash. How are you going to pay your groceries? How are you going to pay your electricity bill? Imagine waking up and being told, banks are closed for a week. When they reopen, your $100,000 is now worth 60,000, so you're taking a 40% haircut, and you can only withdraw $100 a week. Do you think that could happen? In Canada, probably not, not in the foreseeable future. In the United States, what do you think? Regardless, I think that the situation in Cyprus will look back and and, uh, I I follow a a number of uh, forecasters and and, and, um, financial analysts on a website called kingworldnews.com. People like Eric Sprott and Jim Sinclair and Gerald Salente who, who contributes and Gerald Salente will be on this program in the coming weeks. One of the great trend forecasters anywhere. And what they're saying is that the situation in Cyprus, we'll look back on this one day, and it'll be compared to the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in Serbia back in 1914 as that pivotal event, which, which of course led to World War I, but it was a domino effect. The situation in Cyprus as it is unfolding now could, be, could have a similar import. It may be one of the most significant events in modern history. It could lead to the unraveling of the EU. It could be the IMF's greatest blunder. It could lead to a run on banks, bank failures. Are you prepared for a financial collapse? Are you fearful of a financial collapse? And if you are, how are you preparing? What do you do if you wake up and you don't have access to your own money? Do you own physical gold? Do you own silver? Is something is that something you would consider? How bad do you think it's going to get? I own some uh, what we call paper gold. I have, I have a, a percentage of my investments in mutual funds, and those funds hold stocks in gold mines and silver mines and. And, uh, and, and uh, well, we don't own physical gold. There was a time, of course, when the dollar was backed by gold, of course, and silver. Nixon finally took uh, the United States off the gold standard back in 1971. A lot of people are advocating we need to get back to that point. I don't know if that'll happen in, in our lifetime, but I tell you what, this financial system that we're living, on, for the la- living under for the last 100 years is a Ponzi scheme. It can't go on forever. All paper money eventually collapses, and then we have to hit the reset button and start over. And I, seemed, I, I believe that we are nearing that point again. So when we, when we come back, we'll take your calls. Let me throw out the numbers now. These are always handy. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area and toll-free from just about anywhere. 866-740-4740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. I look forward to your voices. Welcome back and asking, are you prepared for a possible financial collapse? Now, some may say that uh, we're uh, sounding the, uh, the alarm bells unnecessarily. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think you should always be prepared. I remember my, my father, who had lived through a depression and uh, served in the Second World War. And uh, back in the uh, 70s, 80s, you know, there was uh, we'd gone through an energy crisis and, and and a recession, but but nothing like what we're facing right now. And uh, he had this room in the uh, in the basement of our home in Brantford. It was his, sort of his workroom. He had his tools in there, and uh, but he saved everything. Everything, little pieces of string and little pieces of of uh, of, of metal. And uh, I remember uh, he, he used to manage a shoe store. We always had nice shoes. When I outgrew a pair of shoes, I would, if they were a little uh, tattered, uh, I would uh, throw them out. And years later, after my father passed away, it took us years to clean out his room. (laughs) He had saved uh, so many things and packed so many things away. And I remember opening the closet and finding just about every pair of shoes I'd ever owned and thought I had tossed out. Because he remembered, he remembered what it was like during the Dirty Thirties. He remembers how times were so tough that you just you didn't throw things away. And I remember going through his things and finding—I don't know if you remember these—they were called sterno stoves. Sterno was a, a, a fuel that you could burn and. and uh, essentially allowed you allowed you to to cook uh, on this little stove it was for camping but he he bought seven or eight of them and it, it stashed them away i guess in the back of his mind he was thinking it could happen again are you prepared lee is in ohio hey lee welcome on the air you are on the
2: air sir uh thank you. I just I've been uh um, of looking for um, a meltdown about thirty years. I've invested in gold many years ago when it was just uh, half of what it was worth now. I live where I'm completely self sufficient. So I look for a, an economic turn and also like society in general to like decay.
1: Well, if 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 things get really tough, uh I think it's pretty safe to assume that there will be this societal decay i think we'll see we'll see panic in the streets in places in, in europe if for example in greece spain portugal uh they begin to become fearful that there's going to be a, de- a tax on depositors uh, uh and that it could starts, spread that could spread
2: it starts with the weakest economies and infrastructures and then it builds it goes outwards so uh the um America would probably be the last for that to happen, but it, it will start where, where it basically is starting now.
1: Well, here's the interesting thing. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the dictate coming in Europe from the Troika, one of the Troika is, of course, the IMF. Well, who is the IMF? It's Washington. It's the same people that are, that are involved in the, uh, the Federal Reserve and many of the large banks in the United States making these decisions in Europe. So who's to say it couldn't happen in the United States at some point? When you look at the, it just may happen. Well, Lee, uh, well, how else do you prepare? Uh, do you do you 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 said you're pretty self sufficient? Do you live off the grid, uh, or uh, do you have generators? What do you do?
2: Uh, I, I don't live off the grid now, but I, I can do that within a, a moment's notice. Uh, I always follow the um, the little saying that you know you live simply, so other people can simply live. Right, right, and that's my motto, and I kind of like go by that, but yes, uh, you know there'd be as- you know most gas stations, the gasoline you know like uh they're run by electric, so if the electric goes out or if we have like people riding in the streets as soon as the money stops for a lot of people they're subsidized throughout the country, then the whole world would be chaos.
1: Well, that's true. Let's for, say, for example, the electricity does, does go out. And this could happen, you know, without uh, an economic collapse. If we had, for example, a major, major solar storm uh, could knock out grids, the uh, the electrical power goes out. Uh, the water filtration system in the municipalities are, are basically dependent on electricity. So forget about, you know, flushing your toilets and having clean water and turning on the taps and so forth. That'll go. Uh, and, uh, you're right. I mean, what happens when the trucks start move stop moving, uh, uh, gasoline to the gas stations, food to the grocery stores? Do you stock up on food? Do you have like a six month supply? Usually three months. Three months. But, uh... I- yeah, but you see the
2: trends, you know, like uh, the United States, the government lies so much about the situation. I mean, I even believe that there's 30%, 40% unemployment in the United States, but they, they fiddle around with the figures and things like that. So who knows who knows what's happening
1: in parts of the world? Well, I believe there's certainly underemployment that would approach at least 20% in the United States, and, and they, the these job numbers that keep coming out uh they they neglect to mention that high paying jobs are going you know by the boards and these are being replaced by service jobs uh, waitressing and and uh you know bartending and and so forth uh so you know people are losing 30 40% of their income in some cases people have 3 4 jobs just to replace you know what they once had so there's huge underemployment and that that figure is not uh, represented in these job stats that come out. I, I agree. I don't think things... I, this is not a recovery. Uh, if it is a recovery, it's the worst recovery probably in uh, 150, 200 years. Lee, I appreciate the call. Good to, uh, to hear from the Buckeye State, Ohio. Appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Good night. 416-360-0740 and toll-free from just about anywhere. 866 740 Do you fear an economic meltdown a collapse a depression a worldwide depression as i said gerald salente will be on the program in a couple of weeks and we'll no doubt get into this with him uh, but all eyes on cyprus as uh, they struggle uh, to deal with their the breakdown of their their banking system and again many of the people that i follow the, the eric Sprouts and the jim sinclairs and the salentes uh, say that cyprus this could be the domino this could be that black swan event this could spread throughout europe cause a run on banks bank failures the disintegration of the euro at what point will germany and its northern eu partners like finland and holland say enough is enough we're not going to bail out any more of these mediterranean countries What's happening in Cyprus has a lot to do with the fact that the German chancellor is facing an election in September. And many people in Germany are no longer in any mood to bail out these countries. So now Merkel and the Troika are saying to Cyprus, your people will bail out your banking system. Here's the other interesting thing. Part of this deal that's being worked out in these Eurogroup talks, as I speak right now, these are these talks are on, underway. The deal is, of course, that one hundred thousand uh, euro uh, deposits of one hundred thousand euros and greater will have to pay up to forty percent in a depositor tax. Here's the thing, though: the deal is, in exchange for that, they'll get ten billion in bailout money. But Cyprus was told, "You are not going to. You're not going to have your 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 parliament vote on this. You're going to put this through, and the people will have no say in it." How undemocratic is that? Uh, Carmen is here in Toronto. Carmen, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
3: Uh, how
1: are you, Richard? Hey, Carmen. Good to hear from you. It's been a long time.
3: Well, uh, I I'm. Uh, um a long-time listener, and I think uh, a lot of your guests uh, give us hope and optimism, and in fact many of them have in the past for me. Uh, what I hear tonight is, is scary, but I'm going to mention a name called Ray Kurzweil.
1: Yes, Ray Kurzweil, yeah.
3: Yeah, and he wrote a book called The Singularity is Near, and he said the fundamental laws of the stock market and everything, the the, the financial system, are outdated. Basically, they're they don't measure the true wealth uh, so uh, the according to him the World Bank released uh, uh, the uh, report and well it's it's about 10 years ago 2004 it was the uh, the most prosperous year ever in any year in history history of our our recorded civilization so where is all this money going uh, I just I just feel that the money system itself is basically like a, a flat earth money system and it doesn't take into account all the wealth that, uh, you know, that we really have. And somehow the people in control of the money system, uh, I don't think it's all corrupt. I just think it's, it's, it's complicated, you know. So you say you have Gerald Salenti. Uh, I like Gerald Salenti. I like, uh, I, I like, uh, Many of your guests in the past, uh, uh, the fellow—he's um, a close friend of yours too, Thal. Um,
1: uh, I'm not sure who, who you're referring to, Nelson but, Thal. Nelson Thal, yes, yes.
3: Yeah, I think they're optimistic, and they believe we we're in a complex age. But it, to do with Cyprus uh, again, I'm—I'm I, I'm not a financial person. All I think of is when I look around in Toronto. I see Brooks Brothers opening. I see, um, you know, all kinds of new stores opening. A lot are closing, like, along the Danforth and that. But there's new uh, targets opening, a lot of stores. And, and for some reason, there's 20 stores opening. They must think that, you know, things that there's not not going to be a collapse. Again, I'm I'm nothing but a, I guess, a wannabe stand-up comic. And, uh, you know, like, I, I, I just... When I hear you tonight it's 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 sort of like um,
1: well you sound I'm, like Carmen you sound like you're 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 fairly optimistic and I agree things in Canada are significantly better than they are elsewhere I think we've uh you know we've we've managed things pretty well here the conservative government has overall when mm-hmm. we don't have the debt I agree. They have I
3: agree. I agree. And we are a wealthy country. We have uh, enormous. Of course, it's not easy to govern. Some some groups want to tear it apart. But in any case, it's a, uh, you've always got a great show. Uh, I listen. I don't call as much as I used to, and I, I don't write as much as I used to. But I'm glad to hear that a lot of stations in the States are going to pick it up. Okay?
1: I appreciate it, Carmen. Good to hear from you. Okay, man. Long-time listener, Carmen, okay. from Toronto. Well, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to be a downer, but I think we have to be prepared, right? What's that old saying, uh, "Forewarned, forearmed"? And if the situation in Cyprus, you know, doesn't turn out to be this domino effect, and we don't see this economic tsunami, great. But why not be prepared? Why not be prepared? But I'm curious, especially uh, for people down in the United States, where let's face it, you have something like. One in five people now in the United States are on some form of social assistance, whether it's food stamps, some type of welfare. Again, the unemployment figures that are coming out of the United States, I don't believe them. I think there's huge underemployment. A lot of people have just given up looking for work. You may remember back in February, the CEO of of Walmart said, this is the worst February I've ever seen. It's a disaster. Those were his words. A disaster. Meanwhile, of course, the stock market is going up, up, up. New highs approaching 15,000, the Dow. What's going on there? Is that an indication that, there, that, that, that we are in recovery? Again, I don't think so. Keep in mind, the Federal Reserve, this quantitative easing, pumping $85 billion a month. Where is that money going? It's going to the banks. So they're liquid. It's going to large corporations, and what are they doing with that money? Acquisitions. Are they hiring people? No. Are they buying their competitors? Are they swallowing their competitors? Yes. And then closing down stores. So the stock market may look good, but I don't think there are any sort of fundamentals. Now I'm not a I'm not an economist. But I don't think there are any corporate fundamentals there to support. I don't think there's value, is what I'm saying, in the stock market. And I'm fearing a collapse there as well. Anne is in Keswick, Ontario. Anne, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
4: Thank you, sir. Um, I'm a little um, um, not with the knowledge about the euro, but can you tell me, what would that be in Canadian money when you're talking about the, the tax that they want to put on the people in Cyprus? What is that value in
1: Canadian money? Well, a euro right now is about a thirty-two Canadian. Okay. So okay. let's say you had 100,000 uh, euros. Yes. Uh, that would be, boy, I need my calculator. But listen, 40%, up to 40%. Okay. And let's say it happened in Canada. If you had $100,000 in the bank and uh-huh. you woke up and they said, we're taxing your deposits by mm-hmm. 40%, mm-hmm. you now have $60,000 left. Right. That's now, substantial. Yes.
4: Even though... You, and it's
1: theft, Anne. I need to point that out. This is theft. For yes. years, we've operated under the sacrosanct law yes. that banks insure your deposits. Okay? Mm-hmm. They need to protect you. That's why you put your money into a bank.
4: Right.
1: Now they want to tax you? Listen, got to run, Anne. Uh, listen, if you want to hold on through the break, we'll yes. come back and chat some more. Anne and Keswick okay. stays I, with I, us.
4: I, w- I wanted to ask a question. We'll then, do that when we I come can, back. I could hang
1: up. We'll do that when we come back. The Conspiracy Show, Richard Serrett, back in a moment. Welcome back, and I'm asking you whether you are prepared for a possible financial collapse. And it may seem like a world away, the tiny island nation of Cyprus and what is happening there, but a number of financial analysts, people that I follow, Jim Sinclair, Eric Sprot, and others who who, uh, contribute to uh, kingworldnews.com, Gerald Salenti, Paul Craig Roberts, Dr. Roberts, was the uh, former... Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, Assistant Treasury Secretary under Ronald Reagan. He was the architect of Reaganomics. Let me uh, give you a quote from him commenting on what is going on there in Cyprus and, and this imposition of a tax on depositors. Theft. He's talking about a time when a fiduciary actually existed. A fiduciary. That somebody who undertook as a matter of honor and law that the deposits would be protected to the best of that institution's ability. This is something that is completely erased if, in fact, even .00001% is taken from the depositors as an act of confiscation in order to save the institutions, which basically have screwed the world and the depositors. When governments don't represent the will of the people, law is in the streets, he writes. What do you think happened in Egypt? What do you think that the basic Arab Spring was all about? What do you think will happen if the present administration in the United States, for example, decides that Texas can't have their guns anymore? Law is moving where it doesn't represent the people, into the streets and away from the legislator. These are defining moments. This is social. This is political. And certainly this is economic. And this is by no means a move too small to consider our world conditions, what is happening in Cyprus. Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, the former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury under Ronald Reagan. Let's uh, say hello again to uh, Anne, who's uh, been on hold. Uh, Anne is in Keswick, Ontario, and you had a question about uh, the euro and Cyprus, Anne.
4: Uh, Yes. You were saying the banking system in Cyprus has been shut down now for over a week. Yes. Should that... A uh, scenario happen here that we hope it pray that it doesn't. What my silly little question would be, if the banking system is closed, can you not use your um, credit card or your debit card in a store? Is that all uh, like the system going to the bank, that everything all down the channels is closed?
1: Well, what's happened, I'll give you an example of what's happening in Cyprus. And people are w- allowed to withdraw, I think, 100 euros from an ATM. Uh, but stores are nervous that if they were to take uh, a credit card from someone, that they wouldn't be able to get their money out of the bank. So they're only accepting cash. Stores across Cyprus are only accepting cash. So if you don't have cash on hand because they have these capital controls in place and you can only withdraw 100 euros a week, how are you going to buy your groceries? hmm that's what's happening in Cyprus. And again, Anne, I want to stress, I don't foresee that ever happening or in the foreseeable future happening no, in Canada. No, knock on wood. But no. We have a like... very stable uh, banking system. Yeah. We don't have, for example, in the United States, they have a huge exposure, their banks, to this, what we call ta- toxic paper, these derivatives. hmm Hundreds of trillions of dollars worth of derivatives. We don't have that exposure because we have, I guess, just more prudent and smarter bankers up here. They didn't mm-hmm. get involved in that nonsense mm-hmm. to the same extent. Mm-hmm. That Ponzi scheme. So the system here is very stable. I think mm-hmm. we're okay, Anne.
4: Okay. Knock on wood. Yes. Okay. Thank, thank you so much. Sir. Thank you for the call, Anne. Thank good, you. good to hear from bye. you. Bye
1: bye. Uh, Michael is in Hamilton. Michael, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
5: I'm very good, sir. How are
1: you? Well, thank you.
5: Yeah, I just a uh, couple of points that I picked up on here, and this this is a really good show you've got going tonight, because this is on a lot of people's minds, and I agree with you that I think the Canadian economy and the Canadian banking system is top-notch, and we don't have too much to worry about, but you had a gentleman from Ohio who just called a little while ago, yes, and he said that he thinks that lo- the United States would be the last place that would happen.
1: I don't agree with that, no. I don't
5: agree with it at all, and if you back up to the lady that you were just talking to, um, talking about different things that could happen. And then go back to what this gentleman was saying. First of all, uh, since the United States announced, it was $14.7 trillion in debt. And now it's being reported that they're $1.5 to $2 uh, trillion, again, worse than that. And it's been said by people that Accountants and financial people can crunch numbers any way they want, and the truth is that it's more like $20 trillion.
1: Well, i got news for you, Michael. I, I think, and I've read, it's somewhere near $70 trillion because you need to include what they call these unfunded liabilities.
5: Yes. These and are things
1: like pensions and so forth. It, $70 it, trillion.
5: It's incredible, and you make a good point. And then when you add up the bankrupt uh, American states that owe what they owe and the bankrupt American cities that owe what they owe, here in Hamilton, it, there, last week there was an article by a writer uh, in Detroit and he was speaking of conditions in Detroit right now.
1: Michael, listen, I've got to take a break. Uh, hold okay. on. I'd, I'd like to hear that. Um, okay. Michael from Hamilton, welcoming your calls here on The Conspiracy Show. Are you prepared for a financial collapse? Stay with us. Of course, on the one hand, you could say that at least in Cyprus or the European Union, the IC, the um, ECU and the, uh, the IMF are being a little more honest. Uh, they're being a little more upfront in their theft, by taxing depositors. Uh, of course, governments steal from us all the time. There's a secret tax. It's called inflation, the constant devaluing of the dollar. And when they print more money, as they're doing in the United States, to the tune of $85 billion a month, this quantitative easing, um, in an attempt to stimulate the economy, and it's not doing its job, the recovery just is not... I mean, you could not call this a a robust economy uh, by any stretch, but by pumping $85 billion a month into the uh, economy, it's going to cause inflation. It's going to cause hyperinflation at some point. Here again, we're being misled. We're told uh, by the mainstream media uh, that, that according to the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, which is a basket of goods by which they measure inflation... They're saying, what is it, somewhere between 2 and 3%? Don't buy that. And I don't think any of you buy that either. Have you been to the grocery store lately? Have you seen the price of bread and basic food stuff rising over the last several months? Do you buy that inflation is 2 to 3%? Not a chance. Your utilities? Gas? It's got to be somewhere in the neighborhood of seven or eight percent. I think we all know that we all sense that, but again, everybody in the mainstream media and the government telling us everything is okay, everything is is looking up and rosy We're in a recovery. Do you feel like we're in a recovery? Uh, back to Michael and Hamilton. Thanks for holding through the break, Michael.
5: Oh, thank you, yeah, just getting back to to what we were talking about there, and <clears throat> as soon as President Obama was elected to office, the first thing he did was he came to Canada. He went back and tried to give Americans public health care, and he went back and, and tried to change banking. He caused the Dow to actually tank. And it was obvious that that system was not working, where uh, you had the, the savings and loan crisis of the early 80s. You had the recession of the early 90s. This just incredible greed of all these people it was, was causing that to happen. And basically knowing that they were going to get bailed out any, it, you know, every time that they did something like that. But now it looks like this is nearing the end now. Like with the the subprime mortgage thing that was happening when they were flipping properties and it was just getting absolutely out of control in the United States in Iceland in Ireland and Greece and et cetera, they must have known that those properties weren't worth that much. But it was just flip, 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 money, money, money until it all crashed.
1: Well, yeah, they they bundled these this debt into these derivatives and i don't know these bond rating agencies that gave them the AAA. a they're also con- they're also uh uh guilty here they looked sure. the other way and gave these AAAs, a's and they went onto the market and they were sold this derivative bubble i mean I'm, it, we're talking hundreds of trillions of dollars Yes. Yeah. and uh i mean i i agree i i think this is going to collapse i don't know when uh, but it can't, it can't sustain this, this 100-year-old Ponzi scheme. And I don't know if it, w- when we get out the other end of it whether we're going to be back on a gold standard or we'll have to pick some. I-, I read an interesting article the other day. Someone suggesting that we can't go back on the gold standard because that can be man- manipulated the same way that, that uh, the currency, yep. paper, paper money can be manipulated. Yep. He was suggesting that we go uh, on, on a standard that would include something like electricity, like a kilowatt hour. And I found that intriguing. But, but we, we definitely have to push the reset button at some point and, and uh, uh, you know, back the dollar with something of, of real value. I This, agree. this constantly printing money, is uh, uh, it, it always leads in the same place. And yet we keep going back and making the same mistakes. It's like these, these guys that are in charge now at the Fed, and at the major banks, and at the IMF. These are the guys that got us into this mess in the first place. Exactly. And they're the ones in charge. And now they're stealing depositor money in Cyprus, and it's going to happen, it's going to spread throughout Europe.
5: And just thinking what paper money actually is, it's not actually funds. It's a note from the government saying, by us giving you this, this bill, um, like a note like they used in Britain, we're giving you this note saying that you're worth this much by the virtue of this piece of paper you're holding in your hand, and in the U.S. it's being handed to you by a government that basically the only reason that they haven't been declared insolvent is because they're the mighty United States.
1: Well, because you know? they, can, they can continue to print money. Now, if you're uh, in the EU, you don't have sovereignty over your own currency. You can't just print your way out of the situation. And that's, that's – you're right. If you look at the situation in the United States – They are no better off than Ireland, England, Spain, all these countries that are teetering on the brink. brink, They are bankrupt, technically, in every sense of the word. The only thing that is keeping them afloat is that they can continue to print money. But when they print money, they devalue the currency. That's theft because your purchasing power, if you're holding on to paper money, continues to go down. It's a tax. But as I said, at least in Europe now, the, uh, the European uh, Central Bank and the IMF, they're being totally upfront about it. They're just going into the bank and stealing. They're confiscating depositors' money. Here's an interesting little thing that they had to do, though. They had to redefine what a depositor is in order to pull this prank. A depositor is now being defined... As a lender. As an investor. And so, which of course isn't the case. I mean, you put your money in a bank for safekeeping. You're not an investor. You're not a lender. The bank decides to lend out your money. That's their business, not yours. But in order to confiscate the money from depositors, they had to redefine what a depositor was. 40%. Up to 40%, they will tax depositors over 100,000 euros in the banks in Cyprus. If you don't think that's going to cause a run on the banks in places like Spain... Now, incidentally, there are a lot of Brits who have retired to places like Cyprus. And there are a lot of Brits in Spain. If you don't think they're going to run to the bank and pull out their money, if you don't think this, could hap- this couldn't happen in the United Kingdom, I beg to differ. So what's happening right now in Cyprus, this could be akin to the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand that set off World War I. In other words, this could be the domino. This could be that black swan event, a ripple turning into to a tsunami, and it will have some impact. So what's Germany going to do? Is Germany going to say enough is enough? and they're going to pull out of the EU, I suspect it's only a matter of time before what we see initially is a two-tier European community or a Eurozone. Germany, Finland, Holland, they'll say enough is enough. We're going on our own. They'll have their northern Euro. Italy, Spain, Portugal, Greece, Cyprus, they'll have their southern Euro. And then from, from there, that's just an incremental A transition from there, it's just a matter of time before Germany says, no, we're bringing back the Deutsche Mark. I mean, it'll be a chaos in Europe for a while. You can imagine having to unravel and and disentangle from all these contracts that are based, you know, uh, commercial contracts and so forth, based on purchasing in this common currency. But that's where I believe it's going. The euro is unraveling. And this might be the first step. 416-360-0740 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. Last call to the phones. one 744 740 From just about anywhere. Would love to hear from my listeners in the United States. Because I think the situation there is a little more fragile, considerably more fragile than it is here. Do you fear an economic collapse? Are you prepared for one? Do you keep your money under your mattress? Do you think it's possible to wake up one day and there'll be a banking holiday in the United States? Let's say hello to uh, Gail, who I believe is calling from Toronto. Welcome, Gail. Oh, hi, Richard. Hi there.
4: Um, I heard a little while ago, and I, I, I don't know whether it's true, but that Austria was... Going to pull out of the EU and get their own currency back—the shilling, the shilling, what used to be their currency.
1: I hadn't heard that. Yeah, uh, that I... was
4: quite some time ago, and I thought, wow, it sounds like you know people are going to be jumping ship pretty soon if Austria pulls out.
1: Well, this is what uh, this is what Germany is, is, has been so afraid of because yeah. they realize it only takes one country, even a tiny country like Cyprus, and once they go. Mm. It'll all begin to unravel.
4: Yeah, well, I think that's maybe what will happen.
1: We shall see. Yeah. I, I read an interesting thing the other day, though, about Austria. Mm. And uh, uh, I forget what the statistic was. It was over 50%. I believe, actually, I have posted the story at the website Richardserrett.com, but over 50% of Austrians believe that if the Nazi party were allowed once again, if it was legal for there to be a Nazi party in Austria, they would win the next election. Oh, dear. This is the ugly side of what's happening. It's not nice. No, of course. I mean, in Greece, we've seen the rise of this despicable, horrible uh, uh, party called the Golden Dawn. Yeah. And they, yeah. while they deny that they are essentially the Nazi party, that's what, exactly what they are.
4: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and you see that when times get uh, tough and you see a breakdown in law and order...
4: Right. Uh, and you see
1: the rise of these parties
4: jack boots take advantage of the situation
1: exactly let's let's pray yeah. that we do not see a return uh, uh you know of uh, of the uh, the rise of the um uh, you know of the fascists in europe
4: yeah because they will take it out on whomever they think is the scapegoat.
1: Well, and we know exactly how that story ends, don't we? And mm-hmm. it's not good. Gail, thank you for the call. I think we have time to squeeze in Wayne from Scarborough. Wayne, welcome to The Conspiracy Show.
2: Good evening, Richard. Uh, extra exceptional, interesting show tonight. I'd just like to comment quickly. I think uh, you're on the right track. And what they want to do, though, is make a cashless society. And when they collapse it, they'll say, oh, in time, after the chaos, here's your little chip or your card. Don't worry about it, because banks don't want money to, to they don't like counting it. The governments don't like printing it. They just got rid of the penny. I'll just throw that out and see what you think. and thank you.
1: I appreciate that, Wayne. I think you're definitely on to something. Um, I, I think though, we've already arrived at a cashless society. Most of what, most of your savings uh, are, are are floating around in cyberspace. They're just electronic blips bouncing around from one credit union to another to a, you know, from one bank to another financial institution. There's the, the, the amount of, of actual paper currency and coinage that's in circulation is a very small percentage of, of the, uh, you know, the money that's out there. Most of it again is just electronic. They're little blips moving at the speed of light. And it's a number that's, you know, in a computer on a ledger, goes in one side, it goes out the other. So I think we are in a cashless society, essentially. But it will be interesting to see, if we have this financial collapse, what emerges on the other side? What sort of new financial system is put in place? Will it be a gold standard? Will it be... And, and perhaps even more interesting, who will will emerge what currency will emerge as the new reserve currency? Will it be the U.S. dollar? I think you could argue that technically it no longer is the reserve currency. China and Russia are now now trading directly with each other. They're not using the U.S. dollar. China and Russia no longer using the U.S. dollar and a number of other countries coming on board. It's getting interesting folks batting down the hatches. You can follow Me on uh, Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Please say hello.
0: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
1: Once again, I'd like to welcome our new affiliate, KGYAM 1240 Olympia, Washington. So very proud uh, to be a part of KGYAM, and we'll add KGYAM 1240 to our growing list of affiliates. You know who you are, and um, thank you, thank you for uh, including the conspiracy show on your weekly schedule. Uh, receiving a lot of email after a recent uh, program on uh, where the, when I asked you whether you're preparing or are you prepared for a possible financial collapse, and uh, uh, some of the email very positive, saying uh, you know you know great show. Others uh, thought I was being a little gloomy, but I think. I think we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared and if we if, you know we come out the other side and and we are in fact in a recovery what's the harm? What's the harm in, in storing, you know, 3 months worth of food supply and water? What's the what's the harm in uh, in going out and and buying a little physical uh, gold and putting that in a safe place? I think that's just prudent and let's hope it never comes to that. But I think we need to be prepared. I mean, I wish I wish I had a crystal ball, you know, and, 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 and could see just six months from now to see how is this thing going to work out. You know, I was reading a um, – actually, someone sent me this. This is, an old, uh, this is an old story that actually appeared. It was the front page of the New York Times a couple of years ago. And it was a serious story about ESP, again, on the front page of the New York Times. And uh, so someone sent me this. I just want to read you a little bit of it. Uh, I think this is very interesting. One of psychology's most respected journals has agreed to publish a paper presenting what its author describes as strong evidence for extrasensory perception, the ability to sense future events. The decision may delight believers in so-called paranormal events, but it is already uh, mortifying scientists. Advanced copies of the paper to be published this year, again, this was 2011, to be published this year in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology have circulated widely among psychological researchers in recent weeks and have generated a mixture of amusement and scorn. The paper describes nine unusual lab experiments performed over the past decade by its author, Daryl J. Bem an emeritus professor at Cornell, testing the ability of college students to accurately sense random events, like whether a computer program will flash a photograph on the left side or the right side of its screen. The studies included more than 1,000 subjects. Some scientists say the report deserves to be published in the name of open inquiry. Others insist that its acceptance only accentuates fundamental flaws in the evaluation and peer review of research in the social sciences. Quote, it's craziness, pure craziness. I can't believe a major journal is allowing this work in, said Ray Hyman, an emeritus professor of psychology at the University of Oregon and longtime critic of ESP research. I think it's just an embarrassment for the entire field, end quote. The editor of the journal, Charles Judd, a psychologist at the University of Colorado, said the paper went through the journal's regular review process. Four reviewers made comments on the manuscript, he said, and these are very trusted people. It's interesting. It's interesting. When scientists actually look into ESP, they conduct studies under scientific conditions and come up with positive results, it's still not good enough for what I'll call orthodox scientific thinking. They will still scorn it and dispute it. Well, my next guest is also a man of science, and he's also studied ESP. He's a physicist, author, and was a pioneer in the development of the laser and laser applications. He holds his Bachelor of Science in Physics from Queens College and did graduate work in physics at Columbia University. He's received two National Aeronautics and Space Administration Awards for inventions and contributions in lasers and laser communications. He's published over 100 scientific papers on lasers, plasma, physics, and ESP research. In the 1970s and 1980s, Russell Targ co-founded and worked for the CIA-sponsored Stanford Research Institute's Investigation into Psychic Abilities. His work in this new area called Remote Viewing was published in Nature, the Proceedings of the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers and in Proceedings of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. In 1983 and 1984, he accepted invitations to present remote viewing demonstrations and address the USSR Academy of Sciences on his research. In 1997, Russell Targ retired from Lockheed Martin Missiles and Space uh, as a senior staff scientist where he developed airborne laser systems for the detection of wind shear. He now teaches remote viewing workshops worldwide and continues to write he is a co-author of eight books dealing with the scientific investigation of psychic abilities, including Limitless Mind, A Guide to Remote Viewing, Transformation of Consciousness, and his autobiography, Do You See What I See? Memoirs Memoirs of a Blind Biker. His latest book is entitled The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities. Russell Targ, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you?
6: Well, I'm very happy to be with you. You said so many things in your introduction that's interesting for me in judaism they say there's no ox like an orthodox <laughs> and you say orthodox science doesn't know what to make out of psychic abilities and the new york times did indeed publish a precognitive criticism of daryl Bam's paper that was going to publish six months later so i thought that's very unusual
1: it's almost like they were setting him up when they published that paper when they published that article rather on the front page
6: no, sir. It was ridiculous. They're criticizing a paper that had not yet been published.
1: Yeah, we see that they time and time again. They
6: looked into the future and saw they weren't going to like it.
1: <laughs> how did you? How does a physicist pioneering the development of lasers and lasers ap- laser applications? How do you? How did you first get involved in the study of of ESP?
6: Well, I got involved in ESP growing up in New York City, where I was interested in stage magic. So I used to do magic where I would pretend to read the minds of people in the audience and I would occasionally have flashes or pictures pertaining to the life situation of the person whose mind I was pretending to read. And As a young scientist, I decided that it was more interesting to learn about the research in parapsychology than to just continue fooling people. So I met J.B. Ryan and read the journals and became affiliated with the uh, Theosophy Soci- Theosophical Society and learned that there's quite a lot of serious work going on by psychologists at that time investigating psychic abilities. This is now 50 years later and the physicists have pretty much taken over from the psychologists with the exception of Daryl Bem. That is, modern physics is very interesting. I, I went to two... Major conferences at University of California, San Diego, dealing with what physicists call retrocausality. Uh, physicists are interested in how photons can affect one another before they've actually reached the two slits, and you have interference where um, one photon seems to know that the other one is coming. So this is a hot topic in modern, modern physics called retrocausality. Uh, Daryl Bem is interested in how it is that you do better if you study for an exam after you take it. For in one of his experiments that was my favorite in the series of nine, is he would show students uh forty eight words and you'd have to remember them as best you can. You see a word every two seconds and the experiment is remember all the words you can and when you're done write down all the words you remember. That's the experiment. Very simple. After they're done with that, he will then show them half those words and say, write down whether each of those remaining 24 words are animal, vegetable, or mineral. Pay attention to them. And even though the later words are chosen randomly, students will remember the words that they saw at a later time, in greater abundance than the words that they didn't get feedback on. So it says, when you take an exam in school, if there's a question you can't answer, run home and find out what the answer is. It will help you on your exam.
1: Makes sense. Makes sense.
6: <laughs> and good students uh, always go over the exam right after they take it. It's a common thing for a serious student to do. Right, right, right after you take a final exam or a midterm, you immediately sit down with your friend and go over the exam and say, Is there was there any, anything there you didn't understand? And that would improve your score, according to the published papers of Daryl Bem. <clears throat> it's like a precognitive dream. Precognitive dreams are the first experience that many people have in the psychic realm, where you dream on a Sunday night that you see an elephant uh, walking down the main street in Toronto. Now, it's been a long time since there's an elephant walking down the main drag, if ever. So you have this dream, and you tell your partner, I had this crazy dream about an elephant, and it was not a wish-fulfillment dream. It's not something I'm worried about. It is a very clear dream that I had Sunday night. And then Monday morning on television, you see that the zoo is coming to Toronto, and the elephant escaped from the zoo and was rampaging down the street. So I would say that Monday morning's picture of the elephant running down the street was the cause, the trigger, or of your having to dream the previous night. And a lot of that is going on.
1: sure is. People sure is.
6: often have dreams. Triggered by what they see the following day.
1: Well, we, I think we all do, but we don't keep this. This is why it's important, I think, to keep a, a dream a journal to write down what you what you dreamt because it's you know many of us have these, but then we don't pay attention, we forget, and it slips by us. But how did how did it happen for you at Stanford? How does a, a prestigious institution like Stanford University? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm, it's really astounding that they would they would uh, get involved in something like this. I tend to think of these. Institutions as re- incredibly conservative, well, skeptical. The
6: Stanford Research Institute was right. not quite as dodgy as the university. Uh, my colleague Hal Putoff and I were already well known as laser pioneers, so we had done a lot of stuff, and we were known in the community as people who were able to do difficult tasks. So that um, I, I was at a meeting, a, a NASA meeting. And I had support from Wernher von Braun and James Fletcher, the administrator of NASA, that they would help support a program if I found a home for it. So I went to SRI with Put-Off and said, I got money from NASA. Von Braun said it's okay. Uh, Edgar Mitchell will support us. And um, Charlie Anderson, the president of SRI, said you can do this if you keep a low profile. And we did our best to do that until Uri Geller came along.
1: Okay, listen, Russell, I've got to take a timeout. We'll come back. Some pretty heavy hitters getting behind you at uh, Stanford Research Institute. Russell Targ is my guest, and his latest book is called The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Russell Targ is with us. Co founder of the CIA sponsored Stanford Research Institute's investigation into psychic abilities. His work in this new area called remote viewing was published in Nature, the Proceedings of the Institute of Electrical uh, and Electronics Engineers, and in Proceedings of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. And his new book is entitled, The Reality of ESP A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities. So back to the uh, Stanford Research Institute. Uh, tell the me The reason
6: I say we have proof of psychic abilities. Yes is that the evidence is so strong it would be statistically unreasonable to deny it at this point we've done many many experiments now statistically significant about a million to one or more and the significant statistical significance of our work is ten times greater or more than ten times greater the proof that aspirin prevents heart attacks so the uh... national institutes of health NIH in Washington did experiments to show that aspirin prevents heart attacks, and they stopped the experiment early because it was so clear that the people getting the aspirin had better outcomes, that they didn't want to deprive the control people of the aspirin. The effect size, the strength of our experiments, is more than ten times greater than the proof that aspirin prevents heart attacks.
1: So let's talk about some of these experiments. I've, I've, um, I've sort of studied or, or followed some of the experiments of people like Cliff Pickover and, and Dr. Gary Schwartz with his blinded field experiment um, about precognitive dreams which you were discussing earlier. Tell me about some of the experiments that are going on. Well, let's start with, with, with um, Stanford Research Institute and some of those ex- early experiments. Well, the
6: experiment that convinced me beyond doubt that psychic abilities are real it, we're working with a psychic policeman, Pat Price. Yes. And uh, the CIA was very interested in him because he's the only one we ever had who could read things at a distance. And the things that he was assigned to read were file drawers in the National uh, uh, Security, at the NSA. Yes. In America, they call it NSA, stands for No Such Agency. <laughs> So he was given the coordinates of the NSA in Virginia, and he described what it looked like and was then able to read the names on the file drawers. And the NSA got very angry about that. They said, why did you pick the most secure place in the whole country to target these guys? You made a big problem for us. And a few weeks later, we got a call from the police department of Berkeley, California, Telling us Patricia Hurst had been kidnapped, which we already knew. Right. And, uh, they didn't know what to do with, she was kidnapped, uh, by a terrorist organization. They didn't know anything about them. The SLA, Symbianese Liberation Army, they were looking for Symbia on the map and couldn't find it. Uh, could we help? And Pat said, sure I can. That's what I did as a police commissioner all my life. I can do that. So Price and my colleague Hal Putoff and I went to Berkeley, and Price immediately said, just show me the mug book, show me the picture book, with all the usual suspects. And he turned page after page and then put his finger on a guy. Is where the expression, he fingered him. And he said, that's the ringleader, that was Donald DeVries, and that was the right answer. No one knew that on that day. We didn't know that until the end of the week and when DeVries surfaced. But Price pulled him out spontaneously from this big picture book. And Price said, but uh, if you re- really want some help, I could tell you where the kidnap car is, the white station wagon. And I see it about 50 miles north of here on the right side of the freeway in a gravel driveway in front of a diner. And on the other side of the freeway are two big white gas storage tanks and the pedestrian overpass across the freeway. This is what Price has volunteered, very much like I just said it to you. No meditation, no puffing and puffing. He you said, know, you want the car that's fifty miles north on the right? And one of the detectives said, Well, I know where that is. Uh it's on the way to my house in Vallejo, north of here. Twenty minutes later a police car was sent to the diner. They found the station wagon. And there were still cartridges rolling around on the floorboards of the station wagon that matched the cartridges we had seen earlier in the day rolling around under the bed of Patricia Hearst's little um, accommodation at uh, UC Berkeley. So we knew for a fact that they had found the car and took Price essentially no time standing in the police station with a mug book in front of him to tell the police where to go to find the kidnapped car, and I still think of that as that's as close to magic as I've ever seen.
1: That is remarkable.
6: The person whose awareness just fills all of space and all of time, ask me anything, and I'll tell you the answer.:
1: And was Pat price uh, I mean was he reliable that that I mean what was what, what was his reliability? Was he was he hundred percent? was he 80 percent? What was he?
6: Well, the formal experiment we did, which is a kind of psychic hide-and-go-seek, that we had 60 possible hiding places in the San Francisco Bay Area. They were put together by my colleague and the division director, and I didn't know those. I didn't want to know them. And then each day in this series of nine trials, they would randomly choose one of these target locations, after I was sequestered with uh, Price in an electrically shielded room. And then a half hour later, uh, my partner and a CIA agent or a lab director would go to one of these sites. So I would be sitting with Price and say, Okay, Hal's his location now. What do you see? What's Hal experiencing? And Price would say something like, uh, I see a watery area. There's a across. There's two walkways crossing each other. It's like a botanical garden. And that was the day they went to the botanical garden. Another day he said, I see a boat dock with little boats with their masts stepped and there's a the Chinese looking restaurant next to it. And that was the day they went to the boat dock. So we did nine of those and Pat Price generated nine transcripts like I've just described to you. And they had to be matched in a blind fashion with the formal driving instructions to the place. So a SRI analyst would take the nine transcripts and the nine directions and go to the nine places and try and match them up. And by you would expect one first place match and one second place match, one third place match, so forth. Well, he got seven first place matches. Mm. So what that means is that if Price if Hal Putoff had been kidnapped seven days in a row, I miss, if if Hal had been kidnapped nine days in a row, Price would have found him the first place he looked in seven out of the nine trials.
1: That's so remarkable. He was
6: seven out of nine first place matches, odds of better than one in a million.
1: My word. And this was re- and this was repeated. No I'm guessing.
6: Publishing that in the proceedings of the I or Nature a very clean experiment.
1: Would you have trouble publishing that study today?
6: Um, I don't know that. It was a very good experiment. Hal and I were well known in the scientific community. Uh, we did another experiment. We were asked by the CIA to find somebody who was not a famous psychic, and I chose my friend Hella Hammett, who is a Life magazine photographer, and we did the Psychic Hide-and-Go-Seek, where I'm again the uh, psychic uh, tour guide sitting in the dark with the viewer trying to elicit from her the information. And we did nine trials with her, and she was even more successful than the police commissioner. My word, my word. So we published those two trials together, both in Nature and in the IEEE. And people all over the world have done that, so that if you go to Google now, you'll find 2.5 million pages dealing with remote viewing, which is a lot of pages for something people don't think exists.
1: Or they, they, know, they, may, have, they may know of uh, the CIA-funded program, but they don't necessarily believe that it works. Now, the CIA, and, and was the Dep- Department of Defense also uh, one of the, uh, the, the backers of this program?
6: yes uh... army intelligence command what we call uh... inscom uh, supported us and wanted us to set up a army psychic corps in maryland at fort meade yes so we chose thirty army intelligence people to investigate and of those thirty we chose six to work with us so we did a similar training we had each of our six Selectees, who would spend a week with us. We'd do six trials with each of them. So at the end of six weeks, we had 36 trials with these people. And again, you'd expect uh, one-sixth of them to be first place. You'd expect six first-place matches, and we had 19 first-place matches. Is hugely significant, working with not particularly psychic people. These are Army officers that we chose, based on an interview that we just made up. We're not psychologists. We just interviewed all these people, and from the 30 we talked to, we chose six, who, in our assessment, as physicists, we chose to be psychic people. And these people did outstandingly well. And that gave us the idea, increasingly, that remote viewing may not be so hard to do. We think that it may be a general ability that many, many people are able to quiet their mind and describe the images in their awareness corresponding to what's going on and what it looks like at a distant location.
1: How successful was this Corps of Psychic Spies during the Cold War? What sort of things? They're
6: very successful. Way to measure, the way to measure the success of our program is that we started in 1972 and we were supported a couple of million dollars a year for the next 23 years by CIA Defense Intelligence Agency uh, army intelligence uh NASA and navy and other other Air, US Air Force intelligence so we were supported 23 years as a functioning part of military intelligence providing information and it's very, very hard to get continuing follow-on support to do anything in the scientific world. To say, we we had a very good year, we'd like to continue this experiment for another couple of years, very hard to get follow-on support. The fact that we were supported continuously by the same group of agencies for 23 years is, in a way, the best evidence that I could offer you that we were doing something useful, because they wouldn't keep supporting us if we weren't doing something useful.
1: Exactly. And yet, I believe, I i forget which CIA director um, said this, but Robert basic, Gates. Robert Gates, ha, ah, interesting, said that the reason that, that uh, this this program was shut down was that it wasn't effective.
6: I know you'd be very shocked if I told you that CIA agents sometimes lie.
1: I would be absolutely shocked. <laughs>
6: yeah, so that was not true. He said it was shut... He shut it down because he didn't like defending something that he was teased for, since at that time we did not have a good idea how ESP works. And he would be happy as a government bureaucrat to get rid of the psychics in California if, as he said, America no longer has any serious enemies anymore. Cold War is over. The Berlin Wall is down. We don't need to support the psychic army corps. Is what he
1: said. Are you still bound by uh, sort of operating under the uh, you know the, the uh, security clearance? I mean, are you able to divulge certain uh, certain projects that the psychic uh, corps was involved in? I can
6: describe pretty much everything that was done because I have a letter. Yeah, I'm eager not to go to jail, just like everybody else. So I have a letter from the CIA. Uh, with uh, slightly redacted copies of the reports that I talk about, and I published the letter from the CIA.
1: Now, how? In, in, were there instances during the Cold War where this psychic, uh, these psychic spies, that you helped train, um, perhaps? were able to avert some sort of cold War catastrophe locating a, a, I don't know a, a target that, that was crucial uh, you know during that period?
6: Now that's a very interesting question. I don't know of anything we were able to avert. Um, it's quite, that's a, my favorite question that pertains to that kind of cause, causality. Uh, we had an experiment that was a lot like that early in the program. The CIA asked Ingo Swan, who's the one who taught us all how to do remote viewing. Yes. They asked, Swann, what's going on at these coordinates, latitude and longitude, on Thursday? And This is Monday. So three days from now, what will be happening at this location? And Swann said, it looks to me like some kind of pyrotechnic explosion. I see beautiful arcs and sparks in the sky hemispherical, colorful displays, and the row of trucks in the background. And um, with that information and what they had already suspected, the CIA was able to say, yes, the Chinese will do the atomic bomb test that we thought they were going to do, and it's going to fail.
1: Remarkable. Because Listen, what, Russell, I've got to jump descri- in here. I've got to jump what in. What Wanda
6: described is a failed test.
1: Ah, amazing. Okay, let let me take a time out. We'll come back. Russell Targ, the reality of ESP here on The Conspiracy Show. Russell Targ is with us, co-founder of the CIA-sponsored Stanford Research Institute's investigation into psychic abilities and uh, this new field at the time called remote viewing, the development of psychic spies for uh, the U.S. Army. Uh, You mentioned Ingo Swann, of course, who just passed away.
6: In the reality of ESP, in my new book, I also tell people how to learn to do remote viewing. Because I have a chapter called uh, Working with a Partner, where you and your partner can develop your psychic abilities and learn to separate the psychic signal from the mental noise, as Ingo taught us to do. You're going to remind your listeners that Ingo was the father of remote viewing, and he unfortunately died a few weeks ago.
1: Uh, Yes, back in, I guess it was January. Um, Now, was he one of the best?
6: Yes. Ingo and Pat Price and Hella Hammett and Joe McMonagle were were the best remote viewers that we saw. So they they were in a class by themselves. (coughs) But we've seen a lot of other really excellent remote viewing. Many people in the Army Psychic Corps did well, and we had other people at SRI who did well.
1: What made them so special? If this is something that anyone can learn, and I'm guessing they, they had no formal training, was this just, I mean, are they more highly tuned? What, what is it about, what I was think it, it about? I like it? a
6: musical ability. That is, anybody can learn to play the piano somewhat. You can learn to play a little Mozart, a little Bach, make yourself happy, amuse your friends. But by and large, no matter how much you practice, it's not going to get you to Carnegie Hall. And remote viewings like that, with a little—when I have a workshop, I may have a couple of dozen people or forty people. Uh, what I promise—and people have spent a lot of money to do this and come from far away—and I promise them that everybody will either do something psychic or see something psychic and what i mean by that is within our two or three days together and maybe doing six different remote viewing activities everybody will either have a striking hit describing uh, an object very very well or their neighbor will describe their object very well so i i've never in I've been teaching now for a decade all over the world, and I've never had anybody complain to me or the management, and gee, I heard a lot about this stuff, it doesn't seem to work. It's, it's, this kind of magic is easier to do than you might think.
1: What does it say about the human mind and, and, and consciousness, that we have this ability?
6: It says that our consciousness is non-local. Does the, the modern physics has finally caught up with this? This is a Ola. This remote viewing is not a new, is not new age. That is, uh, 1200 years ago, the Buddhists were writing in detail about how to quiet your mind and move from a space of suffering where you're spending time defending your ego and you can move from this conditioned awareness into spacious or naked awareness, where you can see the universe as it really is. And Padmasambhava, who is a great Buddhist teacher of the 8th century, wrote a book, a lot like uh, an earlier book of mine. His book is called Self-Liberation Through Seeing with Naked Awareness. It's how to move from conditioned awareness into the spacious realm. And he described in detail how to get rid of mental noise, how to... Give up your desire to name and grasp onto your images entirely understood, uh, and practiced 1200 years ago and earlier than that. And I have a chapter in my book about early Buddhist teachings where you can see in the distance, where they talk in detail about looking into the, seeing into the distance, seeing into the future, diagnosing the ill, Uh, healing the sick, talking to the dead, remembering past lives uh, with recipes
1: for how to do that. The reality of ESP, a physicist's uh, proof of psychic abilities. So how does ESP work then? uh, Does it have anything to do with quantum physics?
6: Uh, It does not have anything to do with quantum physics. It has to do with the nature of the space and time in which we live. A consequence of quantum physics, one of the things that makes quantum physics work is the idea that we live in a non-local space-time that is a multi-dimensional space-time where some things that were born together remain entangled with one another. So Schrodinger, Ern Schrodinger, the great physicist of the 1920s, who perfected quantum mechanics, noticed that it was predicted that if photons are born together, they remain entangled, travel away from each other at the speed of light, and if you grab the one on the left, it will affect the one on the right. Einstein hated that idea, talked about spooky connection to the distance. And then in the 1970s, that was proved to be correct. in Experiments at Berkeley and then experiments in Paris. And lately, experiments in Budapest by Anton Zeilinger, who has done many, many experiments showing that these entangled photons do affect one another even though they're traveling at the speed of light away from each other. And this is all because we live in a non-local space-time. So these photon experiments are not the cause of ESP. But the fact that we live in a non-local space-time allows the photons to be entangled and you and me to be entangled as well.
1: All right, Russell, we'll take another timeout. We'll come back and expound on that point, I guess. Before the Big Bang, all protons were entangled, so it stands to reason that after the Big Bang, they remain thus. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hang around. Welcome back. Just a uh, a programming note next week as we approach the 45th anniversary of the assassination of Dr Martin Luther King William Francis Pepper will be on the program William Francis Pepper was the uh, the lawyer the last lawyer for James Earl Ray and in fact launched a civil trial in Memphis in 1999 which exonerated James Earl Ray the jury came back and uh, uh, said that James Earl Ray was not Responsible for the assassination of uh, the civil rights leader, Dr. King, also joining us on the program will be the former a uh, former member of the house of u uh, s House of Representatives Cynthia McKinney, uh, who is um, uh, during her time in Congress very active in trying to um, see a number of papers relating to his uh, king 's assassination released to the public so that 's uh, next week William Francis Pepper and Cynthia McKinney right here on the program, Russell Targ, physicist author. Uh, co-founder of the Remote Viewing Program at the Stanford Research Institute is with me and his new book is The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities. Uh, a skeptic would say, and I'm sure you've heard all the arguments, uh, Russell, but a, a skeptic might say, well, if this ability exists... Uh, why wouldn't, uh, for example, someone like uh, an Ingo Swan uh, have become a multi-multi-millionaire if they could foresee, for example, uh, stock market prices or the, you know, the rise of gold and silver? I know you did an experiment involving well, silver. I can
6: tell you two stories about that. Just before uh, you called me, I was reading the New York Times, as I do each, every Sunday, and I read the financial page, and I saw the th- problem in Cyprus has been resolved. And I thought, that could happen in America. Uh, maybe I should get some cash. And I actually walked into another room and proposed to my wife that we should get a couple of thousand dollars in cash and just have it in the house in case of a calamity. Now, we've been married for a decade, never talked about uh, any, any fears about a crash or hiding money or having cash, blah, blah, blah. One hour later, I'm on the show with you and your commercial says it's very important to have some cash or gold in the house because of the coming conspiracy. So a person interested in psychic things might say that your voice of doom and gloom saying, be ready for the collapse, have some money at the house, that event might have triggered my uh, fearful thoughts an hour before. Uh, it's not a striking event. Except I've never had thoughts, I've never had cash in the house, never thought about doing it, and that's exactly what your. Uh, that's what we talked about. Voice,
1: yes, we talked that's about That's what they
6: instructed me to do. So what I would say is that my radio program at 9 o'clock caused me to have the fearful thoughts at 8 o'clock and start thinking about calamity and.
1: Right. But you also used remote viewing to invest in the silver market, didn't you?
6: Yes, we did. So, uh, apart from my puny little exper- experience with the newspaper, we actually made $120,000 forecasting sil- silver. And uh, Ingo is not the viewer. Another experienced remote viewer did that for us. Uh, we're cre- Right after it left Sri I created a company called Delphi Associates, and each week for nine weeks, we would forecast whether the market would go up a little or up a lot, down a little or down a lot, and we were correct uh, each each of our call. We were correct nine weeks in a row in a one in four game, and that's how we made our hundred thousand dollars. It's very hard to do anything in life nine times in a row correctly, and. Um, this was published on the front page of the Wall Street Journal the following year, and then NOVA and BBC Horizon made a film featuring this, interviewing people on Wall Street, talking to our broker, and verifying that we really uh, did this. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it's very hard to read anything. So in this case, it would be nice to have the psychic read the big board on the commodity exchange. But instead, we did something called associative remote viewing, where he had to describe the correct object on the broker's desk. Uh, There was an up object and a down object and so forth. Each week, we'd have different objects, and the viewer had to describe, what will I put in your hand next Friday? You You can't read the board at the commodity exchange but you can describe what I'm going to put in your hand. We call that associated remote viewing. And in my book, In the Reality VSP, I describe in detail how we did that forecasting. And there is now a increasing interest, partly because of Daryl Bem's work, partly because of some indefatigable workers from the Army Psychic Program. We now have a Organization called International Remote Viewing Association is IRVA.org, and they're very interested in applying psychic ability. It's not a science organization. I've been trying for 40 years to get them to publish their work, but they're interested in finding lost children, uh, investing in the market, uh, investing in sporting games, that is to say, gambling. So, uh, Irva is interested in applied remote viewing, uh, but your listeners might like to go to the website, irva.org, or if you want to find out what I'm doing, I have a website, which is espresearch.com. I've linked up and to your you...
1: site as well on my site, uh, Russell. Uh, so, yes, so, espresearch. So if people research.
6: want to communicate with me, they can just go to my website and I'll answer their email. But we were perfectly successful in forecasting silver, and there's now um, quite a lot of activity. I do most of my email on my cell phone, and my phone is just chiming along during the day with a variety of people who are having success both in forecasting the market and in sporting events, principally in sporting events because the odds are better.
1: You, uh, you mentioned uh, the CIA director Robert Gates at the time, uh, uh, basically shutting down the program because of some it was a because he was embarrassed. He but, didn't
6: like being teased,
1: right? But do you that do it, you suspect
6: uh, the, the Cold War was over? We right. were no longer worried about having a bomb dropped on our head. But do you suspe- said, let's get, get let's get rid of the psychic nonsense.
1: But do you suspect though that that program is still at some level operating under the radar? If it's so successful, I mean, why wouldn't they keep it?
6: Well, I suspect that it's not. Hmm. Uh, it, there could be a ESP program in the basement of the Pentagon that I don't know about. That's definitely possible. Uh, I would say that's under 10% likelihood, because it requires a group of people in the government who are both very intelligent and very courageous, and I don't see any people like that right now.
1: What about the Russians or the Chinese?
6: Uh, the Russians and the Chinese were endeavoring to do remote viewing, but they were not so successful. The chi- Chinese claim success and just do lousy experiments. That is, China has a Confucian problem in that you can't criticize a person's experiment, or they get very angry with you, like criticizing their their wife or their children. So Chinese do experiments, but they're generally terrible experiments, ill-conceived. Uh, the Russians were unable to have the success that we had because it's hard to be psychic in a slave state. Because in order to be psychic, you have to be willing to be wrong. But in England and Scandinavia and Iceland and Italy, there's lots of psychic work published. In fact, the most psychic group of people I've ever met are the Italian women who took part in my experiment who were much more psychic as a group than anybody else they ever worked with, and i don 't understand that that the research program available to somebody. Why are the Italian women so strikingly more psychic than say the women of silicon valley
1: interesting, very interesting, something in the culture perhaps i don 't know uh, they have
6: more permission to be to be what they want to be,
1: perhaps. And police departments are utilizing psychics all the time, but they don't publicly acknowledge it. I guess, again, this embarrassment factor. But uh,
6: There are now several books about police using psychic ability, and that's another activity at the International Remote Viewing Association. The Irva is very interested in working with the police, and they, there are several groups of people there helping police find criminals.
1: Why is, why is the scientific community so... Aggressively antagonistic towards this kind of research. I mean, there are some brave people like yourself, and I, I mentioned uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz and others. But by and large, the science community wants no part of this. And uh, if if any study comes out, they just they, they they pile on and try and discredit it. What's at stake? Well, they for
6: them? remember that there's a lot of fraud. I mean, in the in Victorian times, there are a lot of of, of fake mediums and. Can walk down every street in a big city, and there's somebody reading your fortune, telling you, reading your palm, telling you what's going to happen. So a lot of fake. It's it's like bad money drives out good money. Uh, Every time you get a uh, a fake fortune teller, uh, it makes it harder for a general scientist, genuine scientist, to avoid looking like a flake. Oh yeah, you want to investigate the future? Isn't that what Madame Catherine does? Down the street, so it's hard to be taken seriously until we have a good theory for how it works.
1: But even when they're presented with this, with with data and good scientific uh, studies, they still won't accept it. It seems.
6: Well, to get our work published by the radio electrical engineers, we had to go to Bell Labs and demonstrate remote viewing and set up an experiment to be done by the editor of the journal. He did an experiment. He would hide every day for five days and have somebody in his group try and describe which place he had gone to hide, and that worked perfectly, and he published my paper. So the empirical value works out. When we make a lot of money in the market, we, again, get a lot of attention. So I encourage people to consider uh, moving into the spacious realm. Consider sitting quietly and realizing that their awareness is non-local. It is not true that who they are is what they see in the mirror in the morning. That's a big cause of suffering. You're much more spacious than that and you can incorporate these psychic abilities into your life in a variety of ways.
1: How long would it take uh, me, Russell, if I wanted to become a really good remote viewer?
6: Well, if you wanted to experience remote viewing, I would say work with a friend, and within a week, you will be seeing psychic things happening that you'll be telling people about. It probably takes a few more weeks to get, you get better and better. The trick is, to separate the psychic signal from the mental noise. If I tell you I've got an object on my desk and I want you to describe it, you'll say, I know what it is, it's a Swiss Army knife. I will say, no, no, don't tell me the name, just describe the image that comes into your awareness. Tell me about the shape and the form. And it takes you about a week to definitively give up your desire to name the thing and just describe the shape and the form and the color. Because in the psychic realm, uh, things don't have names. That is, you, you have to describe just what it looks like and what you're experiencing.
1: Just a collection of tightly packed atoms, really, aren't they? Russell, a, right. a real pleasure to meet you. I'd love to have you on again. Perhaps sometime we could do a, a remote viewing experiment on the air. I could do that. I'd love to. Again.
6: Thank you very much for the opportunity.
1: Thank you. The reality of ESP, Russell Targ. Thank you. Tim Spreen. Bye-bye. Tim Spreen, thank you to you. Back next week, again, William Francis Pepper, Cynthia McKinney, the state execution of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In the meantime, don't be afraid. Nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.